Hello and welcome to We Go Way Back, the podcast where we look back in time to help us better understand the present. I'm Kit Heron. I'm Alex Jones. And I'm Tom Gordon-Martin. And this week, Tom is looking at the history of Marine Le Pen and the National Rally as she leads in some French polls ahead of next year's election. Marine Le Pen, in 2017. Le Pen is an ultra-conservative nationalist who blames almost all of France's problems on globalisation, immigration and Islam, providing a hotbed for far-right and, frankly, racist support. But if you check the polls, she's currently France's most popular politician running for president in next year's election. 12 months out, We Go Way Back speaks to an expert on France's far-right leader to find out who she really is. Well, on a personal level, she can be very charming. Uh, She has a lot of humour, a great sense of humour. And if she's in a good mood, the surprising thing for me is that I thought we could become friends. But if she's in a bad mood or she thinks that you're an opponent, she can be extremely aggressive. That's Cecil Adoui professor of French studies at Stanford University in California, and our guest today. Professor Aldoui has studied Le Pen for years, and in 2015 published a book that analysed the way Marine Le Pen uses language to try to modernise the National Rally Party, away from former leader, her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, who led the party for almost 40 years. Before we get going, it's worth saying that the party was called the National Front up until 2018, when Marine Le Pen changed the name to the National Rally. You may hear both used in this interview. Also, I must warn you that in describing Le Pen and her father, Professor Aldoui refers to both xenophobic and racist slurs they've previously used. It was decided that if we wanted to fully understand these people, it's right to leave the full horror of their words unchanged. So, thank you for joining us, Professor Aldoui. It sounds to me that Marine Le Pen can be both your friend, but quickly your enemy. Where did you meet her? So I've met her twice for an interview, one-on-one interview. The first time she was like the girl around the corner, super funny, sharing jokes and anecdotes. And the second time she was in a bad political period and um, she was super aggressive. And then I met her on stage at a TV show I uh, was backstage just observing and there was an altercation with a journalist during a video report that was made uh, and she threatened to sue them for the video reporting itself. So that was a very different atmosphere, uh, very, very, very different atmosphere. Well, this podcast, it's, it's sort of a history podcast that tries to better understand things that are happening in the present. So what better to do than starting right at the beginning and she was born in 1968, and four years later, the National Front Party was founded by her father. 39 years later, she takes over that same party from her father. Mm-hmm. What are some of the key moments in those 39 years that you could pinpoint that meant that she then became the person she is now? So it took her a long time to um being the spotlight as a political figure she was in the shadow of her father for a long long time and a very 
overpowering Shadow because he has great charisma and takes the entire stage when he's on it. Um, but really, she started to emerge. I mean, she was candidate for very small local elections at City Hall, you know, being a councillor. Uh, but otherwise, at the 2002 presidential election where um, Jean-Marie Le Pen managed to be in the second round of the election uh, and surprised everyone doing so, uh, she was one of the key uh, person from the National Fund being interviewed on um, you know, public media, TV, journals, um, as a supporter of her father, which was, of course, um, um, a difficult position, but she was spotted by journalists as catching the light and being lively and engaging with the audience. So that's where she had a breakthrough in terms of her media appearance. And then she was responsible for the presidential and political campaign of her father in the 2007 election. And she started right then to want to normalize the National Front. She advised him to be calmer, less aggressive, less xenophobic. They used um, advertisement showing young people from the suburbs to, to show that they were inclusive. And it was a disaster because at the same time, Nicolas Sarkozy decided to be like Jean-Marie Le Pen almost. And so he stole the show. Um, and, and so after that, she decided, okay, I cannot do it in spite of my father who has this reputation, this history. So I'm going to do it for myself. I'd like to talk about Jean-Marie Le Pen because I don't think we can really talk about Marine Le Pen without talking about Jean-Marie Le Pen. So as you said, this is a hugely charismatic politician. Uh, some would say he's a racist politician. He's a xenophobic politician. How would you describe his politics from your research? So Jean-Marie Le Pen's politics are very simple. It's the French first, and uh, let's exclude everyone else from belonging to the French community. So he's a very strong opponent of any immigration, even students coming, even family reunion. He is also an admitted uh, racist. He had statements saying, you know, yes, of course, races are unequal. Some are superior than others. He's been convicted over 20 times in the French justice system for incitement to racial hatred, incitement to violence against discriminated groups and anti-Semitism. And he had many, many um, what his daughter calls slips of tongue about Jews, but he is very frankly anti-Semitic. And that's kind of a stain on the name Le Pen that's really hard to erase for his successor, including Marine Le Pen. And she kicked him out the party. She did because of uh, an, a, another kind of bad joke on um, a French singer uh, whose name is Jewish and Jean-Marie Le Pen in a podcast or a videocast said that maybe, you know, there should be another round in the oven. At that point, you know, the breakup was unavoidable. And so she kicked, at this point, she was already the head of the National Fund and she kicked him out. And uh, it was a pretty brutal breakup. So you said it's a brutal breakup. Can you separate Marine and Jean-Marie in 2021? You can and you can't. From a personal point of view, they're still uh, not talking to each other, as far as I know. 
And Jean-Marie Le Pen has no more say in anything that's being done on the, uh, at the National Front. He used to lend monies for political campaigns and even that has stopped. So there's no more ties institutionally between Jean-Marie Le Pen and the National Front party that he founded. However, the political agenda of the National Front, which is now renamed National Assembly or Rassemblement Rallying uh, Party, the political agenda has barely changed because when you look at the platforms since 2002, for instance, and how it was reiterated in 2007, this was still Jean-Marie, 2012, that was Marine, or 2017, the platform is the same. It's uh, first and foremost, a stop to any kind of immigration, a stop to diversity, multiculturalism, uh, a quasi ban on Islam in the public space, including in the streets, in the bus, anywhere. Broadly speaking, the platform tries to solve every kind of problem through anti-immigration rhetoric. So unemployment is going to be solved by kicking out immigrants. The uh, environmental problems are going to be resolved by buying local. Yeah, a real sense of anti-globalization or further than that, hatred of globalization, isn't it? Casting our minds back, I wanted to focus on a particular moment, which I have read about in uh, Marine Le Pen's life, which you actually also commented in in one interview with her about a time that her father was attacked when she was eight years old. Oh, yeah. Someone attempted, broke into their house or and attempted to take his life. There was a bomb actually that exploded in their, their family apartment when she was eight. Yeah. And in a quote to you, she said that politics for me started in violence. And what you've described so far, it sounds like a politician who's being extremely political, attempting to separate herself from a type of ideology to make sure that she wins votes. Mm -hmm. But this story to me is unchangeable. And that sentence is haunting for someone to be encouraged to enter politics from a position of violence. Do you think it's slightly unnerving too? Yes, I think that her vision of politics is very frontal. And, you know, when most people describe opponents, she describes adversaries. And we're not yet in the campaign, but once you enter, for instance, a, a presidential campaign, she was very violent against, for instance, uh, the justice system, judges, journalists. She had a meeting in 2017 where basically she said, we'll come after you and you're responsible. So we'll, we'll do our own justice. So she didn't mean it in a, we're going to go after you physically, but we're going to sack you for sure. And so she has an adversarial conception of politics as a fight. And that goes with the rhetoric of increasing, like dramatizing uh, the fate of France. You know, every election, the fate of France and whether it's gonna disappear or not is at stake, which is objectively not the case. You know, France is not disappearing, which has problems, but no more than, no less than others. And so this constant dramatization you know, paints a story of fight for survival. I think we've both been saying it without necessarily hitting it on the head, which is that she knows how to use language. And this is exactly where your research has focused in years gone by. Could you tell me more about what you found out and how that creates this picture in your mind of what this politician is? Yes, she has understood that French people have changed. So there is no point fighting the old fights. 
so she's socially open-minded and she is very careful to uh, use language that is on the surface absolutely devoid of any trace of anti-Semitism for sure, but also racism. So she kind of drapes herself into this Republican image of, um, you know, Francis's secular society. And this is why we should not uh, build mosques. Another way she does it, so there's the first thing is to borrow from others a vocabulary that's acceptable, Republican values, equality, secularism, and so on. And the second is the conflation of things that are not exactly the same, but are in her discourse always associated. So in almost every sentence where she's going to mention immigration, terror and terrorism and Islamism are going to come 10 words later. So it creates this hollow effect, semantically speaking, where one word that's very descriptive, Muslims, becomes something entirely different in the imagination of the audience. It becomes this frightening Islamist terrorist presence that's looming, you know, behind. But on the surface, she's done nothing, you know, so this is very clever. Off the back of that, right now, in some polls, she is more popular than uh, Emmanuel Macron, the sitting president because of the way the French election system works, which we'll come to, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that she is likely to become president. But if she is successful, how much can we say that these subtle changes in her language since she took over the party in 2011 have made her electable? And how much has the French electorate simply moved it to the right? So even though uh, she's ahead of Macron in the polls for the first round of the election, she's falling higher. And it's been the case uh, since 2015, actually, that she's, she's been leading all first rounds of the elections. Even though this is the case, it's kind of the ceiling. And the, the difference between her and other parties, although this is changing pretty, pretty strongly, is that other parties can make alliances, can rally around a candidate that's not their you know, best choice, but second best choice for the second round. And she doesn't. There's never been an alliance between the National Front and other parties for a second round of the elections. And so the most troubling thing is not that she's ahead of Macron in terms of you know, who would vote for her in the first round, but that in the second round, almost 50% of voters on the left would vote for her potentially. And a lot of voters that would vote traditional conservative right parties would vote for her in the second round. So she arrives at a second round with close to 45, 48% in front of any other candidate. And just as a reminder in 2017, in the second round, she got 35% and Macron 65. So that shows you the second point of your question, which is the shift to the right of the electorate and the fact that it's less and less taboo to vote National Front. So in French politics, something that I've learned about is this term called the Republican Front. And you just went some way to describing it. It's this idea that parties that don't necessarily agree will do anything to stop a far right party from taking power. A great example is that in 2017, Benoit Hamon of the Socialist Party endorsed Macron and said, I still make a distinction between a political adversary and an enemy of the Republic. That enemy was 
Marine Le Pen. My question is, where does this tradition come from? So it is based in the memory of what happened in during World War II and the stain of xenophobic and anti-Semitic discourse on political actions. You have to remember that France abdicated to the Third Reich and instituted a, uh, a regime, the Fichy regime, that not only collaborated with the Germans, but sponsored on its own anti-Jews legislation and helped send Jews and communists and gays to camps. So this is kind of the original sin of far-right parties, especially those who are based on a racist agenda. And Jean-Marie Le Pen represented the continuation of the Vichy regime uh, ideology, and therefore he was an outcast in the political system. Jacques Chirac refused to have a debate with him. So imagine, uh, you know, Biden refusing to debate Trump, for instance. This tells you how not only marginalized, but excluded from Republican ideals, Jean-Marie Le Pen and his party were. So at that stage, and because Jean-Marie Le Pen reiterated again and again his anti-Semitic jokes and racist comments, uh, there was this kind of sanitary protection, a cordon sanitaire or Republican front that aimed as at building a dam to prevent those forces from uh, gushing in to the political system. In 2016, we had the election of Donald Trump on the other side of the Atlantic and Marine Le Pen immediately was happy about this. I'm very happy about the election of Donald Trump, she said. I think with his election, the US will regain its former image in the world. So now, six years later, she's up for election for the second time and Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden in 2020. Does that election show anything? And was the election of Joe Biden in 2020 potentially a turning point in France or totally not connected? I think it, it will not have any influence on the French electorate. I would say that the fact that Trump was elected in the first place has opened doors, if anything, uh, showing that anything is possible. I would say that the American electoral cycle has shown that work works, like, you know, groundwork with knocking at the doors, talking to the electorate, uh, rallying the youth, and having um, a project that can send a little bit of enthusiasm through the people. Uh, you know, I've studied the National Front for many years now and um, Marine Le Pen's worst enemy is herself, but her best enemy are her political opponents because they're divided. They don't have any counter discourse to offer and they're totally incapable of proposing an alternative narrative about the issues that she has imposed in the national debate. I just wanted to touch on America again, because I, I realized I missed the key point here, which is that you've been living and working in America during Trumpism. You've been on the ground. So what did you see that, that worked in 2020? You said it was getting the message across at grassroots level. Yes, I think it was also the level of political unity among Democrats as opposed to in 2016. But in 2020, I think that there was a lot of discipline, volition, 
and long range thinking on the parts of uh, the Democratic Party, the political figures, and, and the electorate too, which was to not demonize Trump voters, but to try to speak to their concerns, to even their values, and to certainly not divide the only Kim that could win it over. A united opposition is the most powerful type of opposition, right? So having briefly chatted with you, we've heard about Marine Le Pen's background, crucial moments like the attack of her father, her rebranding exercises, your work uh, looking at her language. Um, You're an expert of this politician, I'd say, wary of her politics, but you've also said she could easily be your friend. For an outsider watching in, listening into this conversation, how dangerous do you think she is to the health of French democracy and French civil society? Well, as you said, I lived here when Trump was elected and I live in California, which is not exactly Trump ground. And yet, even in California, in the month and weeks after he was elected, I saw the harm that was done on many populations. I had students who were frightened because they were uh, LGBT. And, you know, the level of racism that has, and, and, and therefore hatred and violence, uh, the level of impunity of police violence against the Black population in the States has never been so high. So I think that words have so much power. Of course, the insurrection in the Capitol is the ultimate example that words are not belong to reality and have real life effects, including lives that can be shattered. And so Marine Le Pen is not as extreme as Trump, neither in her language nor mental abilities, I would say. However, her political agenda, when you take it you know, literally, would mean that families will be separated, that kids will be uh, sent away or left here alone and orphaned. So we're talking about millions of people because France is actually a, a, a country of immigrants. Uh, one in four person have parents or grandparents who, who came to France as immigrants. Uh, this would deeply divide the country. One way to understand how this rhetoric uh, against immigrants work is that it's a, it's a, it's a narrative to build artificial asperses them that uh, will divide the country and therefore legitimize the use of violence against anyone that opposes this policy. A frightening warning. Uh, with 12 months until the election, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, Professor Alduit, thank you very much for your time and thank you for speaking with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that, Tom. That was absolutely fascinating. And I think listening to that, it's probably the biggest discussion that we're all having in multicultural societies worldwide, probably. Um, so it's hard to sort of pluck a particular thing to discuss. But I think the thought that sort of left the biggest impression on me there, hearing that France seems further down a road of anti-multiculturalism than we do here in the UK, even though as recent reports and recent events have shown, we're certainly tussling with our relationship with race in the UK and immigration. However, it is still unthinkable to me that someone like Marine Le Pen 
would do as well as she is doing in France in the UK. I guess you'd probably compare her to Nigel Farage sort of figure, who, though prominent, isn't, you know, second in the polls. Do you guys have any impression in terms of why that actually may be? Is the difference maybe that she's offering more? Like, Nigel Farage basically seems to be offering kind of naked xenophobia and, you know, a sense of kind of grievance, whereas Le Pen, for all her... Um, you know, for all for all the things that we find upsetting about her party, you know, there is perhaps more of a sense that she's offering some kind of economic populism um, that kind of reaches out to people who may feel like they've been left behind. My sense of Farage that he is he's really for that kind of Middle England type who um, who is just a bit annoyed about immigration, really. Mm. It's worth noting that um, she admires him and he admires her. And so uh, I wouldn't want to separate them too far. I do believe that they are one of the same like wave that is sort of swept through uh, many democracies in the last decade or so. Uh, but doesn't that suggest that... I, th- I think it'd be naive to say that it's this is coming from Marine Le Pen as opposed to it being her picking up on some trends within France. Why do you think those trends... And I think it probably... It's safe to say, even though I don't have any evidence behind it, it's probably safe to say that those uh, trends are more pronounced in France. I wonder why they seem to be particularly averse to multiculturalism and why they have such significant problems with Islamophobia. I'm not trying to absolve Britain of any responsibility on those fronts, but that certainly seems to be the main concern in the political discourse, doesn't it, in France? We should remember that France has taken the brunt of lots of violent terrorist attacks which although haven't created this idea I think Islamophobia is baked into Frenchness far be- long before the incidents that we can remember in our recent memory. I do think in recent years that has just uh, absolutely charged the ideology and you can see actually the way in which similar politicians in different countries tried to use those incidents for their own political gain. Nigel Farage did in the UK and Donald Trump certainly did when he was uh, when he was president. Um, any uh, different example, but a terrorist attack in London, he then used to say that uh, London was being taken over by terrorists or something along those lines. So I do believe that uh, terrorism has played a role in supporting these politicians and their growth. I think the impression that immigrants um, commit more crime as well plays a huge part in France. And I think recently they're having some serious problems with gang violence in the suburbs around Paris, and that tends to be linked to um, immigrants first or second generation. And I think that has allowed Le Pen to run on this um, law and order platform, which wherever applied seems to work really, really well. It's interesting to ask, I suppose, why law and order works really well for lots of lots of people like it, it is like a universally popular opinion that people want safety on their streets and of course you know that can be linked with kind of very uh, unpleasant policies and like police crackdowns authoritarianism no one really wants to see that but it, it is I don't know I think it is quite interesting how um, how law and order is consistently one of the most popular policies anywhere you find in the world. And and that's led to, obviously, partly led to the rise of these strong men. Certainly. And uh, a really good example of that is uh, the 2015-2016 New Year's Eve incidents in the German city of Cologne. 
Um, the train station reportedly um, uh, immigrants in the city were uh, sexually harassing and raping women that year, that that night. I think later evidence found out that these were not immigrants; they were largely German-born. Anyway, the story was gone, and it has been isolated as the incident that really gave fuel to the uh, alternative for Deutschland, the AfD, which is the most popular right-wing party in Germany and definitely a sister party of the National Rally in France. And these things, these incidents are horrific, though. And like, I suppose it's just really important to to be consistent and to be kind of factually correct about about what is going on, because I think there can be the impression sometimes, maybe mistakenly, that the media doesn't kind of fully um, kind of draw connections between um, factors that may kind of lead to these incidents. Or on the other hand, that they're too, they blame immigrants too much for this kind of thing, or, you know, the children of immigrants. Um, and classic, like, I think it is probably the clearest definition of populism, which is this heavily used term, arguably overused, but uh, that it's just easy answers to complicated problems, you know? And the easiest answer to like crime is to blame uh, immigrants. And it's just, it's so effective and it's still effective um, as we move into the 2020s, uh, seven years, six years after the migration crisis really hit headline news, you know? Yes, definitely, Tom. Um, I think although the three of us would love to probably sit and talk about populism and this sort of thing for a bit longer, that's probably all we've got time for this week. So thank you very much for joining everyone. It's been a pleasure as always. And we look forward, hopefully, to seeing you again next week. Cheers. 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 Cheers.